The famous American businessman Dan Pena said, show me your friends and I will show you your future. I'm not sure whether Pena ever read the book of Proverbs, but he's saying exactly the same thing as the wise father. Your friends are your future. Hang around with fools and you will suffer the fate of fools. Hang around with the wise and you will become wise and experience the outcomes that wise people enjoy. Welcome to Into the Word with Paul Carter. I'm your host, Woody Woodland. That sounds a lot like what we hear in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, when the apostle says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Old Testament and New, the power of relationships to affect our character and behavior is taken seriously. In Proverbs 13, we will hear the wise father addressing several areas of concern in his conversation with the royal son. But this issue of choosing your friends carefully receives special attention. Here to tell us more about that is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Proverbs chapter 13. This chapter feels almost like a miniature version of the book of Proverbs as a whole. It begins with an exhortation for the son to listen carefully to his father's instruction, which reminds us, of course, of the several poems about wisdom at the start of the book. Then in verse 2, we get into the actual content of the father's instruction, which generally has to do with the value and outcomes associated with faithful and moral conduct. Proverbs consistently holds out the expectation that wise conduct flowing out from a covenant fear of the Lord that attends to the moral design and logic of the universe will generally result in physical and material blessing. Now, of course, in a fallen world, we would expect some interruptions to and distortions of that general pattern, and those will be explored at length in the books of Job and Ecclesiastes. But the general pattern is real, and there are tangible benefits for those who respect and adhere to the pattern. And Proverbs makes no apology for that fact. So while we ought to be aware of the distortions and excesses of the prosperity gospel, we ought not to overreact to that by acting as if God is an ungenerous God who delights in withholding good things from his people. That too is a distortion that can lead to error and sin, as indeed it did in the Garden of Eden. The ways of the Lord are right, beautiful, and good. And blessed are those who walk faithfully and confidently within them. Thanks be to God. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Let's just pause here for a moment. As I mentioned, this introduction mirrors the introduction to the book of Proverbs as a whole. The father is commending his wisdom to the son. The fact that the son is contrasted with the scoffer suggests that the issue here is responding appropriately to personal rebuke. The scoffer is someone who does not listen to rebuke. When he sins, he cannot be corrected. Listen, a great deal of wisdom comes down to this. We need to understand that we are fallen creatures. We have tremendous dignity and tremendous capacity, but we're also subject to severe inner conflict and external temptation. And therefore, we frequently think things, feel things, and do things that we should not. 
That is the human condition in this current dispensation. Now, if we've been saved by the person and work of Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit of God, then we're able to sin and able not to sin. In our glorified state, after we have been resurrected and perfected by our vision of the glorified Christ, then thanks be to God, we will be only able not to sin for all eternity. But for now, we are by nature conflicted. So, wisdom means understanding that and acknowledging that and managing that. Wisdom requires us to admit our failings and to seek help, accountability, correction, and support. It is folly to refuse instruction. It is folly to defend ourselves against every accusation when, in fact, we are often to blame. Far better to receive the rebuke, make the change, accept responsibility, and experience growth. The wise son, the wise anyone, has wrapped their head around that fact. They've stopped defending themselves, and they've started to listen. A great deal of growth, increase, maturity, and advance lies on the other side of that pivotal decision. The content of the Father's instruction is now given, beginning in verse 2. From the fruit of his mouth, a man eats what is good, but the desire of the treacherous is for violence. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The righteous hates falsehood, but the wicked brings shame and disgrace. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. Now, again, whether there's any logic to the arrangement of the Proverbs after verse 2 is somewhat debated. Some see verses 2 to 6 as representing a cluster, having generally to do with speech and ethics. The Father seems to be saying here that how we speak determines many of the outcomes we experience in life. A similar point was made in the previous chapter in Proverbs 12, 14. Here, the Father is saying that if you learn to speak well, then, in all likelihood, you will eat well your whole life long. Humans are social creatures, so communication is a valuable skill. Wise parents will therefore encourage their children to read good books so as to develop their communication skills. They will talk to their children and insist that the children talk back. In our home, we prioritize family dinner. We have five kids of differing ages, so we make it a goal to eat together four times a week, and after the meal, we get our Bibles, and we read a chapter or so, and we talk. Now, as I said, that's the goal. It doesn't always happen, but that's the goal, and it is incredibly strategic. Not only does it contribute to spiritual formation, but it contributes to social formation. Children need to learn to read. And they need to develop the skill of comprehension, summarization, and communication, all of which happens around the table. I've heard it said that reading with your child and discussing what has been read is one of the most important things you can do as a parent. And I would have to agree with that assessment. And I would want to add to that, that if it's true that reading a book and discussing it with your child is important, how much more then is it important to read and discuss the Bible with your children? I highly commend this as a regular habit. Verses 2 to 3 are making a strong point. A trained and disciplined speaker will experience many benefits in life, whereas 
a careless and wicked speaker will come to ruin. Verse 4 revisits a common theme. The universe rewards hard work and actively punishes the sluggard. You don't have to be brilliant to be well-fed. You just have to be willing to wake up and work hard. Make sure your children understand that. Verses 5 and 6 are saying that a good person comes to appreciate the value of truthfulness, whereas foolish people think they can lie their way out of trouble. They don't realize that lying your way out of trouble is a lot like trying to dig your way out of a hole. You only fall in deeper. Real security and lasting stability belong to the person of righteousness and truth. In verse 7, we enter into a portion of the Father's instruction that seems to be focusing more narrowly on the topic of wealth and money. He says, One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. In verse 7, the principle seems to be simply that appearances can be deceiving. Some people look like they're doing great, but when you scratch beneath the surface, you discover their life is a complete disaster. Other people may look a bit shabby on the outside, but in reality, their life is remarkably solid. This verse reminds me of the well-known investor Warren Buffett. If you saw him walking down the street, you'd probably think he was the local librarian, as opposed to one of the richest men on planet Earth. He lives with his brother in the same house he originally bought in 1958 for a little over $30,000. He looks and lives like a typical working-class guy, when in fact his net worth is estimated at well over $100 billion. Looks can be deceiving. That's the point. Verse 8 says that a rich man can use his wealth to pay a ransom. But then the second half of the verse says that a poor man is unlikely to be kidnapped in the first place. Again, Proverbs has a nuanced view when it comes to money. It sees the advantages and the limitations. Verse 9, the light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. But whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Verse 9 has to do with the stability associated with righteousness. The wicked may achieve rapid gains, but ultimately it all comes to nothing. Verse 10 is saying that a person who can take advice is likely to live a great life, whereas people who think they know everything already live in perpetual conflict. Verse 11 has the father reminding the son that when it comes to money, slow and steady wins the race. Make money honestly, spend it wisely, invest it prudently, and slowly but surely, all things being equal, you will become rich. On the other hand, if you go for the get-rich-quick approach, you will live your life like a yo-yo, up today and down tomorrow, until the string breaks and you end up face down in the gutter. Verse 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Tremper Longman III provides an insightful comment here. He says, this proverb illustrates how the sages were indeed interested in what today we would call psychology. It is an observation with no explicit admonition or prohibition, but as an observation, it provides insight into how the human spirit typically functions.
This knowledge will help the wise read others as well as themselves. Closed quote. Derek Kidner sees another dimension to this proverb. In addition to helping us read ourselves and others, it may also help us better understand the workings of God. He says that deferred does not imply a revising of what was promised, but literally something long drawn out. It is a help to recognize and so guard against the natural reaction to the slow maturing of God's harvest, closed quote. We certainly experienced the reality of this dynamic during the long months and even years of COVID-19. I remember at the start of the pandemic thinking that it would probably last for a couple of weeks. We had our first service under total lockdown conditions on March 15th of 2020, and we remained in hard lockdown for another three months. We then went back into hard lockdown on December 26th for another two months, and on and on and on it went. Every time we thought it was over and life was going back to normal, another variant emerged, producing another wave, and the world was once again put on pause. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. When we finally did fully emerge from all protocols and restrictions and had our first service without spacing restrictions or without having to wear masks on March 27th, 2022, it felt truly euphoric. Every song felt like it had been written by angels. Every Sunday service felt like a mini revival. As grandma used to say, hunger is the best sauce. Or as the wise father says here, a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. This verse accurately describes our recent experience because our generation was not the first generation to have an experience like that. There is wisdom in understanding how the human soul responds to certain internal and external stimuli so as to better anticipate and prepare for all the various challenges associated with the journey of life. There are plenty of psychological observations of this quality in the book of Proverbs for any who have eyes to see them. Verses 13 and 14 seem to go together. They revisit the theme of being open to wise instruction. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Now, it's tempting to want to hear the word in verse 13 as referring to the scriptures, but that is probably a bit more than the wise father was originally meaning to say. The more general word in the first half of verse 13 is likely intended as a parallel to the more specific commandment in the second half. In the context of the book of Proverbs, it probably means something along the lines of wise and godly instruction. Those who revere that sort of word will be rewarded, probably in this world and certainly in the next, whereas those who despise it will be destroyed. Verse 14 reminds the young man to seek out wise teachers. If you love wise instruction, then you will seek out those who can give it to you. Verse 15. Good sense wins favor, but the way of the treacherous is their ruin. Commentators differ here as to how best to translate the second half of this verse. The main idea would seem to be that good sense leads to a positive outcome, whereas a treacherous person is likely to have a bad outcome. The Hebrew may be saying that the crooked path ends in a cul-de-sac. It doesn't ever arrive 
at the place it intends to go. Verse 16, every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. The idea here is that who people are, either prudent or foolish, shows up in their actions. As Forrest Gump reminded us, stupid is as stupid does. The wise father in Proverbs would agree. Verse 17. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful envoy brings healing. Back before email and Zoom, messengers played a very important role in human society. A king had to choose his messengers very carefully because they would often have to negotiate and compromise on his behalf. If you sent a fool on an errand like that, you could end up at war. But if you chose your messenger wisely, then you would hopefully end up with peace and prosperity. Be careful who you allow to speak on your behalf. Verse 18. Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. We've talked about this several times now. One of the key predictors of success in life is the willingness of an individual to receive instruction. If you can be taught, then the sky is the limit for you. But if you're too proud to receive correction, then poverty and disgrace await you. Bruce Walke sees verse 19 as forming a companion bracket with verse 12, the common connector being the theme of desire realized. Walke sees all the content within that bracket loosely organized under the theme of fulfillment versus frustration. You can judge the warrants of that assessment for yourself. Certainly there's a similarity between verse 12 and verse 19, which says, a desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but to turn away from evil is an abomination to fools. The second half of this proverb is different from verse 12, so perhaps opening the door, as it were, to a new variation on the theme. The next several verses do seem to focus on the future. The wise may look forward to a blessed future, whereas the wicked and the foolish look forward only to ruin. Verse 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise but the companion of fools will suffer harm. The famous American businessman Dan Pena said, show me your friends and I will show you your future. I'm not sure whether Pena ever read the book of Proverbs, but he's saying exactly the same thing as the wise father. Your friends are your future. Hang around with fools and you will suffer the fate of fools. Hang around with the wise and you will become wise and experience the outcomes that wise people enjoy. Pastor Paul, I'd like to jump in here if I can. As I mentioned in the introduction, this is something that I think parents really need to be careful to impress upon their children. And I felt much the same last week when we were talking a fair bit about managing our emotions. So would the book of Proverbs be a helpful book of the Bible for parents to go through with their children for family devotions? Absolutely. In fact, over the last five years or so, I have found myself basically just rotating back and forth between the book of Proverbs and then various Gospels. So we'll take six months and read through Proverbs as a family around the dinner table, and then we'll switch it up and do a Gospel for six months, and then we'll hop right back into the book of Proverbs. And I feel that rhythm allows us to maintain a balance between grace and wisdom. I want my kids to know that they can't live this way apart from the grace of God and Jesus Christ. And they learn that as we walk through the Gospels. But then I also want them to know that they can 
and should live this way as blood-bought, spirit-filled believers. So I feel like alternating between Proverbs and the Gospels really does cover all the bases in terms of family devotions. Absolutely. That sounds like a really good plan for us to follow. Let's jump back into the program audio now at verse 21. Verse 21. Disaster pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. I love that line, disaster pursues sinners. It reminds me of the vision of the flying scroll in Zechariah chapter 5. Zechariah 5, 3 to 4 says, This is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole land. For everyone who steals shall be cleaned out according to what is on one side, and everyone who swears falsely shall be cleaned out according to what is on the other side. I will send it out, declares the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter the house of the thief and the house of him who swears falsely by my name, and it shall remain in his house and consume it, both timber and stones." We spoke about that vision at some length back during the Zechariah series. Zechariah sees a flying scroll, like a giant flag, with the word of God on either side, the commandments of God, symbolizing the curse. God sends out agents of providence to actively punish and destroy sinners. That was the main idea. Sin paints a target on your life and on your home. And it's as though guided missiles have been fired out from the very throne room of God. The only hope you have is to get rid of the sin in your life. As a New Testament believer, I would add, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, only with that target removed and only through the miracle and grace of the gospel can you become righteous in the eyes of God, worthy to receive reward and everlasting favor. Now, Proverbs 13 to 21 isn't saying all of that, obviously. But what it is saying is completely true. Disaster does pursue sinners, and the righteous will be rewarded with good. You have to keep reading to the New Testament to learn how to land on the right side of that critical contrast. Verse 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Here again, we have an expression of one of the main themes in the book of Proverbs, which is the idea of the security of the righteous as opposed to the precarious position occupied by the wicked. The wicked may prosper for a moment, but they are unstable by nature of the fact that they're fighting the natural order, not to mention the divine overseer. They are sure to fall and all that they have gathered will be claimed by others. The people walking in the fear of the Lord, on the other hand, are stable. They progress from one generation to the next. Their children do a little better than them, and their grandchildren a little better still. That's how it ought to go, and that is how it does go, generally speaking, for the righteous. But, of course, the wise father knows that his son will live, work, and rule in a fallen world. So he reminds him in verse 23, the fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. I've mentioned a few times now that Proverbs takes a nuanced view on wealth and poverty. In general, the wise father is happy to assert that diligence and prudence lead to wealth, whereas foolishness and laziness lead to poverty. However, here he acknowledges that in a fallen world, things don't always work out the way they should. Sometimes people are going to work hard and their profits are going to be swept away due to injustice. Now, the term is vague and could refer to unfair land policies or excessive government taxation or both. 
The point is that doing the right thing does not always result in the right outcome in a fallen world. Tremper Longman III says here, This verse is significant because it acknowledges that it is not only the godless fool who can be poor. Closed quote. The Bible talks a great deal about personal responsibility, and the Bible talks a great deal about systematic injustice. No theory of poverty or wealth is truly biblical if it is not willing to do the same. Verse 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. We've talked several times now about how the wise person wants to be disciplined. He or she seeks out correction. That's how you grow. That's how you improve. That's how you learn. Well, then, obviously, the wise parent wants to provide discipline, reproof, and correction to their child. Failure to do so would seem to imply either foolishness or hatred. Why else would you withhold something so demonstrably beneficial? In the Old Testament and New, discipline, even firm discipline, is understood as loving if the end goal is growth and personal development. If you're disciplining your child because they're annoying you and interrupting your enjoyment of the football game, okay, well, that's not what we're talking about here. But taking the time to press home an important truth through instruction and, if necessary, through the application of consequence, that's an act of love. God does it to his children, see Hebrews 12, 5 to 11, and good human parents do it to their children as well. Verse 25, the righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. Verse 25, of course, has to be read in conversation with verse 23. Reading both together, we would want to say that generally speaking, all things being equal, the righteous will have enough to satisfy his appetite, whereas the fool and the wicked will experience deprivation and want. That is generally true. And of course, that is ultimately true, though it is not always immediately true because of the fallenness and injustice of the world at the present time. But it is still the path of wisdom, and it is ever the path of life, abundant and eternal. Thanks be to God. Well, amen to that. That's all the time we have for today, friends. But as always, if you are looking for more Bible teaching from Pastor Paul, you can find that over at the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. Or you can download the Into the Word app at the iTunes Store or on Google Play. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and with other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page. Just enter Into the Word into the search bar. And we'll see you right back here next Sunday morning as we continue our journey together through the whole counsel of God. We'll see you then. Your word is a lamp unto my feet.